Appendix, Henry Hazlitt's Enormous Contribution. It took Hazlitt three weeks, half of six, to write Economics in One Lesson in early 1946. He devoted 20 hours a week that would have been about 120 hours. It took me under 100 hours to write my book. I had the advantage of having access to all of his books, and I also had the advantage of 69 years of materials that have been published since the time that he wrote his book. An enormous amount of material has been published. There are very few, if any, people alive today who read his book when it first came out. It has gained a lot of readers, but initially there were not very many. I don't think there are many people alive today who were part of the libertarian movement in 1946 as a result of either Hazlitt's book or Hayek's Road to Serfdom, 1944. Therefore, people do not appreciate the remarkable nature of Hazlitt's efforts in 1946. He could not refer to a developed body of materials on the topics he covered in his book. There was no such body of materials. Today, we have more than we can possibly read. Today, we are the beneficiaries of the World Wide Web. This includes PDFs, websites, YouTube, Amazon, Facebook, WordPress.com, and all of the other tools of communication. It is extraordinary what has taken place since 1999. I first went online with my site in 1996, and the change since then has been mind-boggling. When he wrote his book, he was almost alone. Hayek and Mises were in the United States, but Mises was virtually unknown. In the same year that Hazlitt wrote his book, Leonard Reed started the Foundation for Economic Education, which was a tiny operation. There were no Washington Beltway think tanks that promoted free market ideas. Communications among libertarians barely existed. For that matter, there really wasn't anything known as a libertarianism. Conservatives in 1946 were mainly besieged holdouts of the late 1930s political opposition of Franklin Roosevelt, but there was no developed conservative philosophy. There was no conservative magazine. The Saturday Evening Post did occasionally publish articles by free market advocates, but there was nothing ideological about that magazine. In 1946, a conservative could hardly find materials to read. Today, he could not possibly read in a year more than a tiny fraction of the materials that are published every day on the web. In 1955, William F. Buckley started National Review. The next year, the Foundation for Economic Education began publishing The Freeman. Up until that time, there was almost nothing to read. Reading materials were limited to newsletters, and only a handful of people had ever heard of any of these newsletters. You do not know what the blackout was like in 1955, unless you were there, and those of us who were there do not remember 1946. In January 1946, the only free market book that non-economists had heard of was Hayek's Road to Serfdom. That was because the Reader's Digest published a précis of it in 1945. You can read that précis online. The good old days were bad. If we are talking about materials that could be used to defend the free market, 1946 was a wasteland. Hazlitt's book was an oasis in the midst of the Gobi Desert. Keynesians still dominate the mainstream media and the universities, but they no longer get a free ride. When the day of fiscal reckoning comes, the vultures will be circling overhead. They're going to pick clean the corpse of Keynesianism. If we are talking about homegrown American authors, Henley Hazlitt deserves credit as the most important defender of the free market in the 1940s. He stood alone in his day. That took courage. That took intelligence. 
it was a good thing that he was one of the best writers in the financial media. Newsweek was smart enough to hire him after the New York Times was dumb enough to fire him. What I remember most about him in the early 70s was his laughter. In this respect, he was a lot like Murray Rothbard. He had been in the trenches for four decades by the time I met him. The experience had not ground him down. He never stopped learning. He was always reading. He never stopped writing either. If he had something to say, he said it in print. The Freeman was always open to him. You can read them here. And there's a web address. Bitly backslash Hazlitt articles. As I said at the beginning of the book, I am grateful that he took me under his wing. He encouraged me. We talked about economic theory. We talked about the economy in general. He was always ready to share his insights, which were based on six decades of careful observing and cogent writing about what he observed. He and I did not share a common theology, but I recognized early on that what he had written about economic theory and practice was an extension of what the Bible teaches about private property, voluntary exchange, and this fundamental principle of Christian economics, thou shall not steal. The modern world has violated this principle, and it will pay the price. It will pay this price because voters have not understood that the modern welfare state is like a rock that is thrown through a plate glass window. Hazlitt reminded us of the consequences of such rock throwing.